We are starting our series on the book of Ezra, and we have tagged it, Rebuilding Life with God. Renew. And this morning, I just want to tell you a story. That's all. I'm just going to tell you a story. Well, actually, I'm going to tell you three stories. And the first story that I want to tell you today is part of trying to orient us to this new series. It's part of trying to set the backstory for jumping into a book of Ezra. You should know what God is doing in the world up until the point where Ezra begins. I want to tell you the story of God. Because the story of God actually starts in utter darkness. It starts with a void. It starts in the chaos, in a place where there was nothing, without life, without love, certainly without us. But that's when God said, let there be light. And things got crazy. And God created humanity. And He created humanity to be in relationship with Himself. That was kind of the point. To allow the eternal love of the Trinity that God experiences within His own self, in His own being, to allow that love to overflow graciously upon His creation. That we might know Him and love Him and to taste the light of God's presence. But as far as the big story of God is concerned, we threw it away. It might have started with a piece of fruit, but it shows itself in every aspect of our lives. We want to live life our own way. We want to live life according to our desires, according to our priorities, according to what we think is best. There's this deep, innate reality within us that says, God, we don't want You in our lives because we think we know better. We just want You to leave us alone so we can live our own lives. And so we abandon God and strike out on our own. But God is light. And if you abandon the light, what are you left with? You're left with darkness. But God. Two very important words throughout the Scriptures. But God was not content to leave us in the darkness, so He began to call. Right? He began to call out to us saying, return to me, return to me. He began to call through individuals like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph saying, come back, return to me, I want a relationship with you. And you would say these are great heroes of the faith until you read the stories and realize, yeah, not so much. They were humans. They lied, they cheated, they stole. They, they went their own ways. They saw, they glimpsed the light of a relationship with God. But they continued to struggle with darkness. And so God reached out through individuals, and then God said, well, how about I reach out through a people group? And so under Moses, where he rescued his people from captivity in Egypt, and brought them to Sinai, and constituted them as a nation, and gave them a law, and said, this is who I am, so this is who you are called to be. And he, and he gave them a land, and a promise of what? A promise of his presence with them. And he sent judges to save and govern them, but no matter how clearly God was calling these pesky like golden calves that show up and people keep turning away from the light and they turn back to the darkness and so God's called not just through individuals and not just through a people group but through an actual kingdom right and sort of the pinnacle the high point of Old Testament history is King David who's described in scriptures as a man after God's own heart 
And you say, if anybody's got this figured out, it's David, until you read Psalm 51. David sinned grievously. Not even a man after God's own heart was able to live the kind of life that would allow a relationship with God to exist. And from there, things just kept spiraling downward, right? David sung Solomon. He built a temple, and that's great and everything, but as far as parenting is concerned, he was not the hottest parent. So his son Rehoboam breaks the kingdom in half. That's what kids do. They break their dad's things. And so they broke the kingdom into like the ten northern tribes, which took the name Israel. And then everybody that was left kept the name Judah and associated pieces of tribes. And you had this divided kingdom. Israel to the north, Judah to the south. And through this period of history, then you wish the kings would say like, hey, look, we broke, we broke the people God called us to be. How about we return to Him? But no! Instead, the people of God kept turning away from Him over and over again. This is, these stories are the stories of God's people abandoning Him, turning their back on Him. There were two kings maybe in Judah that had some things going on and returned to the Lord. But all the others completely abandoned Him. And none of the northern kings followed God. This is a dark time in history. They took advantage of the poor. They neglected the needy. They openly rebelled against the Lord. They worshipped other gods. And no matter how often God called, no matter how often He said, come back to Me. I want a relationship with you. King after king abandoned the Lord. They saw the light, but continued to choose the darkness. God had warned them. I mean, He sent them messenger after messenger. He sent them prophet after prophet. You've heard of Elijah and Elisha. They were up to the northern kingdom saying, repent, turn back to the Lord. You've heard of Isaiah and Jeremiah. They were sent to the southern kingdom saying, if you don't change things, if you don't change your ways, calamity is going to come upon you. God was warning them that if they chose darkness, if they chose their ways instead of His, He would bring the most severe judgment imaginable upon them. He would bring the most devastating thing He could do to His people. He would give them what they want. Life apart from Him. Life without Him. He would release them to the darkness for which they clamored. While He warned them, they did not heed Him. And so as this period of biblical history continues, God allowed a superpower of the ancient Near East to sweep through. God sent the Assyrians and they swept across the land and they conquered and completely annihilated the entire northern kingdom. It was destroyed. And yet, God's people would still not return to Him. And so God allowed the Babylonians to come through. And they swept across and booted out the Assyrians. And even then, God's people would not listen to Him. And so, the Babylonians swept through Judah. They came across Jerusalem and they destroyed the entire city. They tore down the temple of the Most High God and they didn't leave a single stone standing on top of another. And the people... The people were exiled. They were carried away from their homes, intentionally resettled, scattered throughout the Babylonian Empire so that they might be assimilated in the culture of the Babylonians. 
right? Forced resettlement. The whole idea was let's eradicate an ethnic group. Let's resettle them. Let's scatter them. Let's make sure there aren't enough of them in any one place. It allows them to retain their identity and retain their faith and retain their relationship with God. Let's destroy them utterly and overwhelm them with Babylonian culture to the point where they cease to exist. And Jerusalem, for all intents and purposes, ceased to exist. And so as the story continues, we saw that the Assyrians, let's zoom in on this, the Assyrians came in and destroyed the nation of Israel, and that's why that block ends there. The Babylonians came in and took out Judah, and that's why that block ends there. And then they carried them off and sent them into exile. This is pretty much as dark as it gets, people. This is pretty much as dark as it gets in the history of God's people. Life separated from the giver of light. Life separated from the God who loves them and wants to have a relationship with them and continue to call them and call them and call them. This is life lived distant from God. This is darkness. And at this point in the big story of God, what hope was there for God's people? Their land is no more. The temple, the center of their relationship with God is no more. They're not even where they grew up. They're not, they've lost their land. They've lost their temple. They've lost their relationship with God. Has God abandoned His people? As we get to the book of Ezra, we need to have a sense of the depth of the darkness in which God's people were living. That's the first of the three stories I want to tell you today. That's the story of what God has been doing in the world. There is a second story, though. And the second story I want to introduce you to is actually the story of what's about to take place in the book of Ezra. To begin with, we have to recognize that Ezra begins in this place of being distant from God. Both geographically in terms of being displaced as a people group, but far more importantly, relationally. Having failed to live up to their end of the covenant agreement with God that He would be their God and they would be His people. They were living in the darkness. But even in the darkness, they could put their hope in God's promise to renew. Even in the most dark period of Israel's history, they could put their hope in God's promise to renew. Because the prophet Jeremiah, God had spoken to him. And God had tipped his hand a little bit to say what was coming. And while God had telegraphed his play and said, if you, choose to just, if you refuse to follow me, calamity will come upon you. The Babylonians, he even names the Babylonians, that the Babylonians are going to come and wipe you out. But lest that seem hopeless, in Jeremiah chapter 29, we find one of the most important promises of the Old Testament. 
Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 14, we find these words. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. These are plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me. and Come, you'll pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Do you see the promise in God's word? I mean, yes, there's a promise that he's going to bring them back geographically to their land. That's there. That's not the big promise. And there's a promise that he's going to free them from Babylonian captivity, and that's there. That's not the big promise. What he's actually promising is the renewal of his relationship with them, a renewal of their relationship with him. Then you will call on me, and you'll come and pray to me, and I'll listen to you. And you'll seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. That is a promise of a renewed relationship with their God. And that is the hope that the people of God were clinging to through all those years of exile, through 70 years of foreign captivity. They clung to the hope that one day, God would renew his relationship with his people. And then the book of Ezra opens. It's so good. Because it says in verse 1 through 4, in the first year of of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, which we just looked at, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem and Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. This is no longer darkness. God is bringing back the light of his presence among his people. And do you see, do you hear the promise even in those words? And may their God be with them. It's the answer 
to the promise of Jeremiah that says, then you'll call on me and you'll come and pray to me and I'll listen to you and you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says God, and I'm going to use Cyrus, king of Persia, to do it. God is about to renew His people. He's going to renew not just His people, He's going to renew His relationship with His people. This is His promise that our God is a God of renewal. And our God will renew His relationship with His people. Now there's a weird thing about promises of God. And this happens throughout the Scriptures. It doesn't just happen here in a book like Ezra and it doesn't just happen here in a book like Jeremiah. Promises, as they appear in Scripture, often have two arenas of fulfillment. They have an immediate or approximate arena of fulfillment, something that's going to happen soon or right away, sort of in one's lifetime to say, hey, here's what God is saying, here's what God is promising, and it's about to happen. Pay attention. But many of God's promises also have this, this ultimate arena of fulfillment. That even while God is moving and active at a specific time and space within human history, He's also using those events to telegraph a cosmic reality that He is going to reveal to the world in His good time. So for example, here in Jeremiah 29, we have this language, when 70 years are completed, that seems pretty specific. That's talking about a specific time, a specific place, a specific location. And God is about to do something amazing. He's going to renew his relationship with his people. He's going to bring them out of captivity. He's going to send them home. That's sort of Ezra's story. That's the immediate context into which we're going to be looking at over these next nine weeks together. But we also need to keep in mind not just Ezra's story, but God's great story. Right? Because inasmuch as what's happening in Ezra's story with Babylon there, Jerusalem gone, what God does is he doesn't send Assyria. He doesn't send Babylon. He brings in the Persians. And if you thought Babylon and Assyria were big, Persia like takes over everything. Like when Cyrus opens his head, he's giving me all the nations of the earth. He's pretty much giving them all the nations of the earth that were known to humanity at that time. And my map is too small. It goes like way off off to this side and way down off to this side. Like Persia went crazy. But the Persians, as they swept across the land, and Cyrus gives this decree and says, you guys can actually go home. And actually, when you get home, I want you to rebuild your altars, rebuild your temple, rebuild your city. I want you to put Jerusalem back on the map. And what's really cool is we actually have archaeological evidence that supports this kind of a decree from Cyrus. Uh, welcome to room 55 of the British Museum in London. In the foreground, which you can kind of see because it's a little bit washed out from the lighting, enclosed in what's probably bulletproof glass, is a cylinder, a clay cylinder. Now the back of this cylinder is a little bit worse for wear, it's mostly, you know, gone. But the front of the cylinder is covered with an inscription in Akkadian that dates back to the era of Cyrus the Great of Persia. And this particular cylinder describes a policy of repatriation. It, it, it's actually the command of Cyrus to send people back home. See, the Babylonians said, let's scatter the people, displace them from their homes, and assimilate them into Babylonian culture so they'll never be constituted as a nation that might rise up and rebel against us. 
And Cyrus says, no, with Persia, we're going to play a different game. We're actually going to send everybody back home, and we're going to even pay to build their temples again. And when they build their temples and start worshiping their gods, hey, everybody, put in a word with your God for the king. And in that way, Cyrus says, I can cover all my bases. I can get all the gods on my side. And this is the policy that's represented on this cylinder. It described, now, this cylinder specifically refers to Mesopotamian gods and Mesopotamian cultures. It doesn't mention the Jews in Jerusalem. But it's evidence of the decree that Cyrus made. Maybe there were more of these cylinders. Maybe there's one that's actually reflected, like the opening verses of Ezra. We have strong evidence that corroborates the biblical account sitting on display in the British Museum. Someday I want to see that. But lest we be mistaken and think that Cyrus is the one who's doing this, we need to remember that there's a big story going on here. And that inasmuch as Assyria and Babylon had come through and made a mess of things, well, when Persia shows up, they're actually involved in bringing God's people back. So if you're in a mall and you're saying, where are we in this great story? You're right here. This is where the book of Ezra takes place, right? It's this back from exile. It's the second exodus moment. This is kind of the story of Ezra. And so if we go back to the promise language and we say the proximate fulfillment of God's promise in Jeremiah is Ezra's story. It's he's going to bring his people back. But we also need to see with a second lens. With a lens, with an eye on this ultimate fulfillment. And this ultimate fulfillment when God says, I will be found by you and will bring you back from captivity. And here what we have is is really a reference not just to Ezra's localized story, but to God's big story that says there's an even greater captivity at play here than just being exiles in Babylon. And as we go through Ezra, we're going to hear echo after echo of how even the author rearranged the history in terms of his chronology so it looks more like the Exodus. Because the Exodus is also God setting his people free from captivity. But the Exodus event and this second Exodus event are both markers that point forward to an even greater Exodus. That inasmuch as you are here with Ezra's story, when we're talking about God's great story, we have to realize that what's about to take place is Jesus is coming. And he's going to redeem us from the ultimate captivity to sin and death. God wins. And he restores the with God life. Life lived in relationship with God. So this is not just Ezra's story, it is the story, the big story of God that is in view here. And what we're seeing in both stories, both in Ezra's story and in the big story of God, is that even in the darkness, they put their hope in God's promise to renew. And what we're going to see in Ezra is that God is about to renew his relationship with his people. But I told you there were three stories. There's the story of God, the big scope of biblical history. Where does Ezra fit? There's the story of Ezra that says, what's the immediate circumstances into which these prophecies are being fulfilled? What's happening there? But there is a third story. 
And the third story is the story of us. Because I believe that God has preserved these biblical accounts not just because they're an accurate reflection, an accurate record of how He's been at work in human history. They are that. But that's not the only reason He preserved them for us in the pages of Scriptures. I think God preserved these biblical accounts not just because they point to Jesus, the ultimate climax moment of everything that God has been doing in the world. Although they do do that. But that's not the only reason God has preserved these accounts. I believe God has also preserved these biblical accounts for us. Honestly, because I think we can identify with the people who feel distant from God. And I think we can identify with the people who feel like they're living in darkness. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that we have been forcibly taken from our homes, that we've been relocated to a hostile land. We are not living in exile in Babylon, so we are not identifying with that aspect of the story, right? We're not comparing our situation to theirs because that's ridiculous. And on top of that, we're living on the other side of the cross. So Jesus has come and we're under a new covenant enacted by the death and resurrection of Jesus. So our relationship with God is not predicated upon our obedience to the law, but on God's grace freely extended to us. And our relationship with God is, is not governed by our faithfulness, but by His. And yet, we do experience darkness. We do go through seasons where we feel really distant from the Lord. And while Jesus has come and paid the price for our sin, we still experience that that feeling of distance from God. And we know what it's like to perceive that all there is is darkness around us. And I think God has gifted us a book like Ezra so that we might know that when all seems like darkness, the promises of God still stand. Because then... Even in the darkness, you can call on Him and come and pray to Him and He will listen to us. And if we seek Him, we will find Him when we seek Him with all our heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And that is as true today as it was then. God wants us to take hold of His promise today just as He wanted His ancient people to take hold of it in Ezra's day. It's an invitation to renewal. It's an invitation to come back into the light of a relationship with God. And so the promise, the, what is the promise for us today? Well, guess what? It's got a proximate and an ultimate application or arena of fulfillment. And the proximate has actually already happened for us. I would argue the proximate fulfillment is when God said, I will bring you back from captivity, and Jesus came and rescued us from sin and death. It's happened. God wins. That has been established. That has been clearly, that victory is secure. Jesus came. The proximate promise has been fulfilled. But the place we live is looking forward to an ultimate fulfillment. And that's a place of full and complete renewal. That's the place when Jesus comes back again. And we see it described in a book like the book of Revelation chapter 21 where he says, and I will make a new heaven and a new earth. Talk about renewal. We're talking about 
global renewal, cosmic renewal. God's going to make, he says, and behold, I make all things new. And in that chapter, that's where God promises that there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain because the old order of things will have passed away. And there won't be any darkness because God Himself will be with us and be our light. This means that Jesus is coming again. Where does that leave us? Right about here in the middle. Right? We're caught right between these two amazing realities. We're caught between the proximate and the ultimate. We're caught between what theologians call the already not yet. And that's where we live. Secure in our salvation, enjoying life with God, yet still not perfected and enjoying Him face to face like we will be one day when Jesus comes back. And as we live in this middle place, we can still experience darkness. So what do we take away from a book like Ezra? We take the same promise they clung to. That when we call on Him, and when we come and pray to Him, that He'll listen to us. And when we seek Him, we'll find Him when we seek Him with all our heart because He wants to be found. It's a terrible analogy, but it's like a father playing hide-and-seek with his daughter. doesn't actually want to stay hidden. So you hide behind the curtains so you can see your boots out from underneath the curtain fabric. And you want nothing more than to jump out and be like, ah, there you are! Oh, you found me! And you fall to the ground and wrestle in a big tickle fest. Let that be your image of God as you go home today. That God wants to be found. That if we will just turn back to Him, He's right there and He's not actually hiding that hard. God is about to renew His relationship with His people in Ezra. I think God might be about to renew His relationship with us. This is our story. Or at least, I kind of want it to be. Because I don't know where you're at with the Lord right now. I've shared with you a few weeks ago that I'm pretty spent. And in my current state, I am telling you that this is what I need. I want my relationship with God to be renewed. I need God to renew my relationship with Him. And so I'm cautiously anticipating what God might do as we study a book like Ezra. Because, because I want to be renewed. Because I want to fall in love with my God all over again. I mean, it happens to us all eventually, right? That life with Christ loses its sparkle. Eventually it gets hard because real life choices come into conflict with living for the gospel. And following Jesus is hard sometimes. And following Jesus is costly sometimes. And following Jesus actually hurts sometimes. And sometimes we want to give up. Sometimes we want to yield to the darkness because it just feels better. And sometimes we want to yield to the darkness because honestly it's easier. And sometimes we want to yield to the darkness because then even though we're miserable, at least it's dark. And we can hide. 
we're miserable, we're without hope, but at least no one can see. But our God is in relentless pursuit of your heart. And I'm hoping He's in relentless pursuit of mine. He is tireless in offering Himself for our greatest joy and His greatest glory. He's been calling out to us since the opening pages of Scripture from Genesis 3 onward. He's saying, come back to me, return to me. He's reaching out through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and reaching out through, through Moses and the Exodus, reaching out through David and the entire kingdom of Israel and reaching out even when they broke the kingdom in half and even when they're in the exile as far from the Lord as they can get. God says, come home. Return to me. Seek me. Find me. You can see my toes under the curtain. I shared three stories with you. God's great story of what He's doing in the world through all of Scripture. The story of Ezra and the immediate context of what's about to take place in Ezra. And our story. Three stories, just one invitation. Even in the darkness, put your hope in God's promise to renew. Even in the darkness, put your hope in God's promise to renew because He is waiting to renew His relationship with you. Welcome to the book of Ezra. Let's rebuild life together with God as we put our hope in God's promise to renew. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we humble ourselves before You to, and, and we say thank You. Thank You for giving us Your Word and this account of how You have been interacting with us throughout human history. Thank You for what it reveals about Your character and Your nature. That You are relentless. That You are unstoppable. That You never ever give up. That Your faithfulness is new every morning. And that You will chase us to the ends of the earth to invite us back to Yourself. And you know where every heart in this room is. You know those that are loving you. And you know those that feel far from you. You even those who see nothing but darkness around them. But we thank you that even in the darkness, we can put our hope in your promise to renew. Because darkness cannot stop you. You are the God of light. So God, as we open this, this series looking at Ezra, we don't want to study archaeology. We don't want to study geopolitical history. We want you. Oh, we want you. So God, reach down from on high and take hold of us. Take us, reach down and rescue us from the pit and set our feet on solid ground 
because of what Christ has done, because of what Christ is going to one day do, and as we live in between. God, we want to seek you and find you with all our hearts. So maybe we simply ask this, be found by us, O God, that we might know you and love you and follow you into all hope, that even in the darkness, you might renew us again. In Jesus' name, amen.